What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it, it wasn't fun, you know. It was enough of a pain in the butt to ruin things. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start the podcast just like that. All right. All right. Before we really get started, I think we need, I need to apologize. It's been like three weeks. Since I know. We, we forgot out. how to do it. I had a couple people message me and ask me where it was at. And so we were supposed to have one last week, but like you were just saying, we had some illnesses. Yeah, we don't man. want to come in this little enclosed room with a bunch of sick people. Yeah. So, Well, then... uh. After that, we had an appointment in Lexington. I took a modium AD to try to fight through it yeah. and got rear-ended <laughs> on the East West Connector. It was funny, though, because I called you on a Friday or whatever day it was we were going to do it, and I didn't notice that your truck was missing. So I, I called your office, and you didn't answer, and then I called your cell phone, and you answered, and you sounded like the Grim Reaper just had his hand right over no, I was, Man, I was like, I need to get off here pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to change underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to go back and delete this. Well, I called you in the morning, but I didn't know you were I, I, I was hunting that morning, so I might, I might just leave that last one in there, you know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, full uh, transparency here. No, we're not trying to hide anything. Then then within two hours, about two and a half hours later, I had an accident. So They only tore up our bumper. <laughs> when you say accident, yes. No, sir. no. This, this kid, he said, my foot slipped. I was like, no, your texting slipped a lot, because yeah. when he hit us. Okay. If I pretty much if I get rear-ended, that's probably what I'll assume. So mm. that you weren't paying attention one way or another. Mm -hmm. So oh well. And it was raining, it was kind of getting a little foggy, and a lot of people didn't have their lights on. Man, when it's raining, put your damn lights on so I can see you. Yeah, most of the time when you put your windshield wipers on, your lights come on automatically. Mm -hmm. So there was one thing also that I wanted to talk about talk about before we jumped into everything with Steve, and that is mm -hmm. a news story I just saw fifteen minutes ago. I was reading it right before you guys walked in about the barges in the Ohio River. Do you see that? No. I got the video of it on my phone. I'll show you. But apparently, a uh, a tow what, boat, I guess that's what mm -hmm. pushes the barges. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the simplest word there. Um, was pushing 15 barges of coal up the river yesterday in Louisville. And uh, the video, it just looks like it kind of loses control and the current pushes it. It hit the Clark Memorial Bridge. Oh, I heard about that. And the barges broke loose and got pushed up against a dam, which I'm assuming is the Falls of the Ohio. Mm -hmm. That's what it looked like. And three of them sank carrying all that coal. Oh, my. Mm. So they're talking about having all the environmental agencies out there. And I was kind of wondering what was going on there. I didn't know if you had any insight into that or not. Well, I just heard that, you know, they were against the uh, piers and yep. it didn't look good. I think nine of them were pushed up against the, it looked like the top part of the dam there at the falls. Because mm -hmm. you could kind of see, I mean, the water's so high right now, you, there, it's not as obvious as it usually is. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see the brakes on either side. Where the So the, the barge, the driver screwed up, you think? I'm assuming something had to happen like that. Here, I'll show you this video real quick. Just hit play on that, and you'll see the barge come upstream. It looks like he just kind of gets caught in the uh, gets caught in the current. See him coming there, and then he kind of makes a turn, and the current kind of catches him, and he gets pushed into those pillars. And I guess that's when all of his hmm, all of his things broke looks over. like he lost power or something. Yeah, you know, because it kind of looks like the current just takes control. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I'm kind of anxious to see what that's going to do as far as the environmental aspect of it. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming those barges are probably hauling. 50,000 pounds of coal apiece or 20 mm -hmm. tons or yeah. it's got to be a, a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a lot of coal in the river. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's better than oil, wouldn't you say? Or chemicals, for sure. Yeah, I don't know what the consequences of that much coal. It looks like he lost power and the, and the river just took over. Well, I'm sure that they'll have a big press briefing at some point and we'll hear all about it. So, 
Anyway, yeah, I was I was kind of wondering if you'd heard about that or not. Yeah, yeah, I just I haven't seen the video or anything. I just overheard it. What happened? What is today? The twenty seventh. So it happened last night. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's fairly new stuff. But I'm well, gonna actually I heard on eighteen channel eighteen this morning. It was just a little quick, mm-hmm. and then they showed a still of, of it against the pilot. Mm-hmm. I saw the I saw the still image too, but I took that video just so I could have it. But anyway, I wanted to touch on that because that's something I'm going to be keeping my eye on. But. We haven't introduced everybody. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan. How is everyone? Co-host of the podcast, and today we have Steve Beam on with us. And Steve, you are the director of wildlife, correct? For a couple more days. For yes. a couple more days. <laughs> that's that's exactly why we had to have you in, because we, time is running out. You know, here before long, I don't know if we'd be able to do it. But usually when I have people in, like, say, Gabe Jenkins or Zach Danks or somebody like that, um, I say... Now, Gabe, you're the, the deer and elk program coordinator, and I basically try to phrase it so people understand that, you know, that means we have all these biologists working on deer and elk, but you are the top dog when it comes to deer and elk, right? That's how I phrase it. And, but <laughs> really, in reality, I'm selling you short because you're the top dog when it comes to all those people, right? Uh, everybody has a boss, but yeah, I, yeah. I am uh, I am in charge of the wildlife division. And that so. pretty much means all of our game species, right? Yes, so, and non-game as well. And non-game as well? Yes, I did not yes. know that. I thought it's non games and wildlife. So everybody that I've had in here pretty much reports up <laughs> reports up to you. So very good. How long have you been around? Twenty seven years, I think. Twenty. It would. Uh, I would be twenty three. I think in February. Twenty three years. Yeah, that's counting some seasonal time. I um, I basically have been on full time since the end of nineteen ninety five. Whatever that totals up to. Nineteen ninety five. I was. Let's see. So you've been on since I was walking in the doors at Heritage Elementary down there to start <laughs> to start the first grade. Yeah, yeah, thanks. yeah I needed that. <laughs> no, but I'm not trying to make it feel old. <laughs> I'm just trying to give uh, some precedence to you've been around and you've seen quite a bit happen, right? I have been here for quite a while. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, as far as knowledge of things that have happened in the department, what's going on with, with wildlife in the state, you probably are more qualified to talk about it than pretty much anybody else I could think of to get in here, right? I, I don't. I don't know. I think that's a. I think that's a a, a, a flattering assessment. But yeah, I, I've been around for a long time. I've seen a lot of changes. For well, you sure. haven't been up here with your eyes closed. All no, the time, I haven't. So. I've, I've, You've seen a lot, right? It, 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 it's uh, there have been some major. Um, um, some major changes, a lot of successes yeah. in that time period. And that, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about because I was thinking about it earlier and I was I was just trying to put it in perspective for myself. And I would say that the last 25 years, maybe going back just a hair bit before that when deer and turkey restoration started, mm-hmm. um, in the last 25 years or three decades, however you want to put it, we probably had more change with wildlife in the state than we had since early settlers came and wiped it all out. Yeah, it has been pretty amazing. I mean, my career kind of started at the tail end like you like you mentioned uh kind of the tail end of the deer and turkey restoration actually um i think we relocated deer what until 97 maybe i thought it was 99 maybe maybe we didn't get that one long, of those years but, one of those years uh, um but yes there was still an active uh deer restoration effort uh, mm-hmm. when i started uh the turkey uh turkey thing it was was going well and it had kind of wrapped up the relocation at that point mm-hmm. um but since then um obviously we brought in elk mm-hmm. um we didn't bring them in but the bear population mm-hmm. has grown from hey you get a report every once in a while and not sure if it's even credible because it was such a rare thing yeah to now we have a huntable population yeah and, our last podcast was actually with hast and we talked quite a bit about the bears mm-hmm. right I, I thought no it was with west little but the one before that yeah, was, was with hast yeah but uh the one with hast i thought was really interesting I some did. of the stuff about bears 
and something you just said, where we had our, you know, sparse reports of bears every now and then, and now we have a huntable population. Well, now we're getting sparse reports of bears elsewhere in the state. Mm-hmm. Sure. You think that the population is going to keep expanding and maybe there'll be, I mean, I know we're looking at expanding the bear zone right now to hunt more counties than we have been. Right. Do you think that's going to keep expanding or? Um, yes, I think that it will expand uh, at some point. I think habitat will start to play mm-hmm. a, a play a role. Obviously, the habitat's not as good in uh, western Kentucky yeah. or the or the bluegrass when you compare it to the eastern mountains. But there's still some uh, there's still some habitat in south central Kentucky. Probably all the way up through. When I because it seems like when you drive into eastern Kentucky, there's a point where whether you're on the uh, the parkway heading towards uh, Stanton or whether you're on 75 or anywhere where you kind of see the hills up in front of you. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like you're you're leaving the bluegrass and you're kind of hitting that mountain zone now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that goes all the way up to about Berea near the Pinnacles. Mm-hmm. Sure. And as, I mean, as far up into the Cave Run area. Right. So, I mean, I could see a lot of expansions, but I'm no expert. No, <laughs> but I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on with that. Um, you know, and we're, we're seeing bears turn up everywhere and it, it, there's nowhere in the mm-hmm. state that it, it would be a shock to have a bear midsummer mm-hmm. wandering around because those i'm sure you talked to john hast uh, mm-hmm. about this but uh, um, those young males in the summertime mm-hmm. um, they're not sure what to do they've just got to they've just yeah. got to leave home well, and no, go mm-hmm. somewhere so they wander around a good bit and this this is something we talked about with Hast, but it was one of the more interesting things i'm not so i don't want to harp on something we've already hit on but the fact that females when they are bred they they keep their cubs for two breeding seasons basically so there's an unavailable breeding season for the females because right. they've already got cubs to care for so if you really think about it that way even with a 50 50 male to female population only 50 percent of those males are really breedable so you got a ton of competition between the older and more mature bears and the younger bears you can basically there's a ton of competition amongst those males for the females that are available correct so for a young smaller bear it's like get the heck out of dodge yeah that's kind of the way that has to yeah, big brother's going to beat up little brother. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty territorial. So yeah. those young males have to try to try to find a place where they're not going to get beat up. Yep. And that, I thought that was interesting because I never had thought about it that way. But yeah, bear, elk has pretty much completely happened since you've been here. And even though the deer and turkey restoration was kind of winding down when you came on board, the numbers since we stopped the restoration. Correct. The growth has been incredible. Just boomed. It's crazy. Last night I went hunting with Nathan Brooks and we were just looking for a doe. And uh, I got I got to ask you about this. I don't know if you'll know the answer to the question, but here in a second, I'm going to ask you. We probably saw between the two of us sixty-five deer, and we were hunting two hundred yards apart. Wow! And I mean, that's, wow. I know that's too many deer because uh, I mean it's just ridiculous how many deer are in some parts of the state. So, yes. Yeah. The, the and I got a feeling that even when the restoration ended, it was no nothing like that. Nowhere near like that. No, no, no. It's it, yeah. It, the the numbers have mm-hmm. have gone up incredibly, and we do have parts of the state, as you mentioned, that yeah, that too many deer. That we have too many. That's why I've already. I'm on my second set of bonus tags right now, and I'm trying to fill them both. I'm just trying to knock some of those deer numbers down. Even though in some places I don't think there's a whole lot you can really do mm-hmm. to affect it. Because me and Chad were out there the other day on a hunt, and just the pure number of deer in that area. And then when we start walking around, it's like, man, they, there's so much food available. There's so much cover available. There's water everywhere. It's just food, water, habitat. I don't know if you could, as a bow hunter or just as one person, really do what you need to do to knock those numbers down in that area. And, no, and that's one of the things that we really talked a lot about um, uh, this past regulation cycle mm-hmm. and try, in terms of trying to come up with something, yeah. some mechanism for those zone one counties and those areas that really need um, that really need a, de- a decrease in the population. Personally, I think um, while 
it's wonderful if somebody goes out and if you're going to put them in the freezer yeah. or give them to friends or yeah. you know have somebody that's going to eat them uh, give them the hunters for the hungry that type of thing it's wonderful if somebody wants to go out and take six or eight or ten mm-hmm. or whatever um but i think the real success is going to come if we can get folks who normally take one to take two yeah who normally take two and, and whatever whatever that number is um that is the norm mm-hmm. if we can if we can start to increase that you know, a whole lot of people taking one extra deer is going to have much oh, more yeah. of a significant oh, yeah. impact. And Gabe, Gabe talked a little bit about that back when we were talking about the proposed regs and right. the regs that actually Hence go the through. four tags now yeah, when you exactly. buy your regular license. Exactly. I uh, It'd be nice if, I mean, obviously, Hunters for the Hungry is a 5013C. They're a nonprofit, so, and they don't work direct. I, I mean, they kind of work with the agency, but not really. They aren't a part of the agency. Not anymore. a part of the agency, no. But it would be nice if we could, you know, get more on more people on board with you know, donating those deer and maybe taking that extra one like you were talking about, even if they don't have the freezer space and just taking it down there to the processor and letting them have it. I guess there's always funding that comes into it on their side. But the way I understand it, they had leftover funding the past two years. Well, and one of the things I, I tell people and, and try to encourage folks to think about is um, Hunters the Hunger is a great organization. Mm-hmm. I completely 100% support what they're doing. But, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to do something right at home. I yeah. mean, somebody in your church, somebody mm-hmm. in your family, somebody who you don't necessarily think about every day, um, who would be very happy. You know, you find some mm-hmm. family with uh, two, two or three teenage boys in the household and yeah. say, "Hey, would you like to have a? Would you like? You know, we'll shoot a couple extra does and grind it all up. Yeah. Could you use a couple hundred? Or could you use a hundred pounds of hamburger? And mm-hmm. I'm guessing um, you'd find a lot of families who'd be happy to well, happy mm-hmm. to take that. And in turn, that would probably because if, if you give a deer meat to, or deer to somebody and they they like it and they enjoy it that in turn might inspire or get somebody else out there hunting sure it wasn't before so right. that's even a way to get more more hunters out there it's kind of an exponential way to take care of it so yeah that's a that's a good point and one of the last deer that we took on the show we uh loaded up in chad's truck and he had a christmas party at his house he had to get to like right after so he drove straight home from there with this deer in the back of his truck and walked in the christmas party and i guess nobody knew that he had a deer but one of the guys was like uh, hey chad when when are you going to get a deer for me and that's <laughs> a, in the back of the truck that's a merry christmas <laughs> <laughs> i bet he expect that yeah yeah he chad likes to clean two at a time he he'd prefer to knock down two does and, and just deal with two of them and, instead of one so yeah. i think he just had the one in the back of the truck it was kind of a yeah, if you want it go for it and chad had a ton of meat already so no lack of uh, of that there i do have some questions written down Steve, and this is something I don't normally do, but I actually had some thoughts on this one. I okay. So uh, since you're getting ready to uh, walk out the door anyway, I feel like I can ask this one. Uh, are there cougars in Kentucky? Are there cougars in Kentucky? Yeah, that's one I want. <laughs> you know, that's just one of the big myths. That's something people are always asking about. We have zero evidence of a breeding population. That's what I always try to say. Because, and, I, and I say it that way, and then people immediately read into that a conspiracy. That's, yeah. that's the scientific answer. That's not the mm-hmm. absolutely no, there's zero mountain lions roaming around today. Because, now, if I had to bet, there's zero mountain lions roaming around in Kentucky today. Yeah, if you had to bet. Okay. But Missouri's had several. Indiana's mm-hmm. had a couple, I think. Yes. Uh, Tennessee's had the one that's documented. So is it possible that we would have a wild mountain lion that wanders into the state? Absolutely, it is possible. Um, I get, I've had this question in, in 20-something. <laughs> I've had this question a million times. I've offended a lot of people over the years without intending to. But I know when I was a field biologist, um, when the phone rang in my office 
or somebody talked to me at the gas station, I always told them the same thing. I gave them my personal cell phone number usually or cell phone number. And I said, call this number day, night, whatever, because if there really is one, I want to be the person who documents it. Mm-hmm. Um, none of those people ever called me back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I ran trail cameras and got a picture of a big black dog one time, which mm-hmm. the guy then said, no, that's not what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are lots of, uh, <laughs> there are lots of stories. I, I don't know what people see mm-hmm. the, uh, again, I won't discount that, that there could be a mountain lion come through the state. What I can tell you is the number of things that people say they see, yeah. it's just not possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not possible for a variety of reasons. One, I mean, how many trail cameras do you guys run? Oh, yeah. And not a Black Panther yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I get we get pictures and somebody will say, look at well, look at this one. And it's invariably a bobcat or a dog or... Well, not just that. I've heard before or that a hoax. some of the trail cam photos that people will say, oh, I got this in Letcher County. All, all a real expert has to do is look at it and they'll say, well, those trees only grow in California and mm-hmm. these bushes are native to the Pacific Northwest. Well, chupacabra, <laughs> too, which ended <laughs> yeah. up being a red fox with mange, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that we've had... Uh, I don't remember the red fox. I'm sure that's, that's, that's a possibility. I know we had... Uh, I actually... Uh, picked one up years ago that was a raccoon that uh, had had no hair yeah and that'd uh, be an ugly animal it was a strange looking (laughs) strange looking creature but somebody had you know obviously thought that was a chupacabra but back to the mountain lions the other thing that i will point out um this is the thing that nobody um seems to factor in is that we have this 24 hour day 365 day a year surveillance system mm-hmm. and it's called highways oh yeah we have a road system that if they existed in mm-hmm. the numbers in any significant numbers we would produce roadkill animals oh yeah yeah where are they yeah well and you know some of the stuff that i've kind of joked with people about is you know the animal tracks cards we have mm-hmm. well when you look at it cougars on there it's like why do we why are we supporting this conspiracy theory by putting this on our animal tracks card it, well they are in the ozarks well you know? well and, and, uh, and that's not real far away from the and that's why i say it's a know? it's a possibility that we would have one come through it but I, I don't think they're here personally when, when you look we would i think we would know when you look at our website there's actually a cougar tab on the website I just discovered this other day so it's like oh well, i thought that was adding to the you know animal tracks and word but then i clicked on it and it really was pretty much what you just told me it was kind of debunking the myths and explaining you know the bourbon um county mountain line you kind of explained what happened there and i mean because people say well we there was a mountain line killed in the state just a couple of years ago and i mean if the we obviously looked at that animal very closely and saw you know what its diet had been and that it had been on concrete the pads of it the way it's, the pads of its feet were worn right stuff mm-hmm. like that so it's pretty obvious that wasn't a wild animal mm-hmm. well and again we come back to um as often as all of us hear this yeah. you would think there's a mountain lion yeah. population mm-hmm. in every county of the state mm-hmm. yep. and if that was the case yep. and you go to the you go to the black hills in south dakota where they have mountain lions, but yeah. at a relatively low density, mm-hmm. and they have multiple road kills every year. Yeah, so yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think there was one road kill in the state in '76, and it was a a small one. And that, it wasn't that long ago, actually. Really? Um, it was. Um, it would have been in the. 
it would have been somewhere in the 1995 to 1998 range because I was actually working. It must have been 96. The fish then, lab because for some reason six was okay. Around, so. so maybe it was 96. I was working here. Uh, it, um, the field biologist brought it up to the mm. fish lab. I actually held that one in my hands. Yeah. But genetics work indicated that was from the pet trade. Yeah, that's what mm. that's what I figured. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. Only the person who picked it up knows the real story. But yeah. Um, didn't uh, the uh, the, this was run over as it followed its mother across the road story didn't make any yeah. sense if mm-hmm. it had South American genetics. So, mm, yeah. no doubt. And there's, you know, there's people out there that want these exotic pets for some reason and breaking the law to get them. Mm-hmm. There was just that monocleuth cobra in Shelby County uh, like a couple months ago. I remember one of our officers went and picked up. So people it are, really is insane what people yeah. keep as pets. <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I have a beagle. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's pretty, he's pretty chill. I have two dogs. I really like them. <laughs> yeah. Dogs are no, pets. Not, <laughs> not, or not uh, actual lion lions like the woman in, or that guy in Georgetown had. Remember? And yeah, that, was, that caused a giant furor. There yeah. was one in Eastern Kentucky years ago. I too, hadn't heard about this. In a dog yeah. kennel. Somebody had an African, yeah, African lion. He had a real African lion in a, a big pen in his backyard. and. What is the uh, point? They, didn't they pass an ordinance saying uh, no African lions? Yeah, <laughs> we prefer to not have African lions as pets in our neighborhood where our children are playing. You know, my gosh, why would you want an African lion as a pet? And they came uh, in front of us too, didn't they? Wanting, you know, and there's another lady who was a, a cat person along those lines that wanted. Uh, regulations on that. We're like, that's on our list of inherently dangerous animals. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Those exotic pets are generally a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, anything capable of taking down a, a cape buffalo. I don't, really <laughs> yeah. I don't want my five-year-old playing ball around it. You know? <laughs> um, Cats are kind of bossy anyway. How did really... you start your careers? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the first? What, what started? Um, well, um, I was uh, in school at EKU Um I've just always been interested in three AQ EKU grads. All right, that's right. I was uh, I've always kind of been interested in outdoors, hunting, fishing, that sort of stuff. It's just uh, kind of been my passion. What I what I spend my time doing. Then I realized you could uh, major in that and maybe get a job. So mm-hmm. um, I got a degree in wildlife management. Um, I did a lot of volunteer work. Anything I could go to get my hands dirty and, and learn about uh, what 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 it is that the department does. And uh, uh, Marcia Schroeder, who was the manager at Central Kentucky WMA at the time, offered me uh, an interim, a seasonal job, mm-hmm. I guess, as a uh, as a technician. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get that job, and I worked there for uh, two stints uh, throughout the, s- the summer and, and into the school year. And then after I or they did that one year, and then after I graduated, I went back and worked as a seasonal again. And when that ended, um, I had applied for other jobs with the department, and uh, Wayne Davis hired me in the environmental section. Oh, Wayne! And the rest is history. So <laughs> didn't get away. But Wayne was quite a character. He was the late colorful, Wayne Davis, colorful yeah. character. That was my first assignment of fish and wildlife. Was uh, after the Kentucky uh, wild turkey uh, fire and subsequent fish kill. I went out with uh, with Carrie Prather, who recently passed, and uh, that, that's sad. Carrie was a great, great guy. Yes, he was. 
and uh, we met up with Wayne, and my first impression of him was was quite colorful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, I traveled. I always liked old Wayne. I got along with him great. I did too. I traveled around the state with him for a couple of years on various projects. He's a legend. He, you know, he, he, he broke legendary. a lot of people, and I mean, <laughs> half the department started with him, didn't? You I know? tell you, in wildlife division, uh, for the guys my age, you either started with Wayne Davis or Jeff Soul. That yeah. was uh, that was the two uh, that was the two entry points, mm-hmm. pretty much. I worked for Jeff after. Uh, Leaving Wayne, oddly enough. So, huh. I didn't know. Yeah, say so I came in so much later. It was Tim Sloan for me. I was still mm. pretty, pretty, pretty colorful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he was, I just saw him the other day. Yeah, yeah I did Tim too. Sloan, he was I think, great I, division director. I think Sloan's he getting did a bored. Fantastic job. He's what? I said, I think Sloan's getting bored. Yeah. <laughs> Time to come back. Yeah, he's. He, I think he is getting ready to start doing something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh. So over all these years, give me one of the cooler things you've seen or, or done out there. Cooler things I've done. Neater, cooler, uh, whatever kind of analogy you want to use. I really have um, been extremely fortunate to do um, to do a lot of uh, fascinating things. Um, I, I would have to say that uh, one of the most moving um, experiences that uh, that I got to be a part of was uh, many many years ago. Um, I helped the non game staff quite a bit with mm-hmm. various surveys and. Uh, there's very limited uh, times of the year or times uh, that this happens, but back then, um, one of the gray bat maternity colonies that we were surveying, it was scheduled for actually a cave entry. Mm-hmm. So to go in there and you know shine a light up the ceiling and see thousands of little pink baby bats, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it was that's that was just fascinating to me how here what, these these mother that one was in Jessamine County actually so. Huh. And the, you know, and it's it, there's a million examples of things like this about nature and wildlife, and I, that are that are so fascinating. But I, I've the, for the rest of my life, I've thought about how in the world does a mother bat fly in there in the pitch dark mm-hmm. and pick her baby? Yeah, out of, out of ten thousand that are in you know a few. It's amazing. A yeah. few square yeah. feet on a on a on a roof of a cave, and she flies straight to her baby every time. Hmm. I mean, it's just. I just kind of it, it's mm-hmm. it's mind boggling, but to just get to see that, I mean, to think of how few people get to go in and experience yeah. something like that, you know. And then I've gotten to you know lots of other neat experiences uh, huh. from working with bears to to elk to uh, you name it. Hmm. Um, many many years ago, uh, uh, Tom Bennett got an invitation from uh, from someone with. Uh, uh, mine safety or something and uh, got an invitation to go underground on a coal mine and he took me with him uh, so that was you know there's been a lot of um a lot of pretty interesting things that are not just straight wildlife yeah. stuff but stuff to go that, underground on a coal mine is pretty cool too that's stuff people don't really think about <clears throat> like the bats i mean a lot of your sportsmen and women out there have no idea that we even do things with bats so mm-hmm. right kind of disappointing well and you know the you know the whatever term you want to use, but the ecological services, I guess, if nothing else, provided by bats, when you stop and think about how many summertime insects those things gobble mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty pretty critical. Yes, the they're critical. Yeah, if, you, if you're a deer hunter that hates mosquitoes, then love bats. <laughs> love yeah, bats. love bats, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> we used to fish a pond on Distillery Lake growing up, and uh, there was always bats around there because there were some caves, and um, actually there was one that you'd walk in this meadow and look down and there'd be a crack in the ground with water flowing through it. And there was several small caves off that. And there's distilleries on both ends of those springs. Mm. Um, 
And we walked in one time, and there was hundreds of bats, and they were like three feet from our head. We were like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we took up, we took off running. But in the summer, when you were throwing a jitterbug, like right before dark, you had to watch it because the bat would dive bomb your jitterbug. Uh-huh. Oh, I, didn't, I, I never wanted to. They hit our fishing line on Dale all the time. Mm-hmm. And at night, when you're night fishing, you're, was, that, was that a bite or was that a bat? Yeah, I've set the hook on many a bat hitting my line. Yeah, yeah I, always, fishing. I always wonder if they fray it. going to break me off a, mm-hmm. a big one because of that bat. <laughs> uh, we had some cinnamon bats at my house growing up. And you don't see those as much. Yeah, the little red bat. Yes. Yeah. I remember when I was a little kid, we uh, lived in on a farm out uh, near Guest Creek, really close to Guest Creek. And we would have bats flying around our outdoor lights all the time. And I I never had seen my dad took a thing of tin foil and rolled it up real tight and threw it up in the air. And I watched the bats come down and hit it real quick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if we were supposed to do that, but it was cool. <laughs> uh, it was cool. I mean, it's, they're amazing. Yeah, they are just, amazing creatures. But mm-hmm. yeah, to think about... Uh, to think about how they find their individual you know, offspring. Oh, that is that. ridiculous. I didn't I didn't know they did that. So they all the mama bats going there, do they just have one pup at a time? That's what, um one or two, but usually one, yeah. Going there and, and the, Yeah, and it depends on you know, different species have different the red bats like you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they they'll be out in trees under bark or in mm-hmm. the leaves of trees. But yeah. uh, some of those that have the communal roosts in the summer, the big maternity colonies, pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. I never have uh, I've gone out with our bad guys a couple times, or I know only once actually. We went out with them twice this year, but I was only there once, and we went and did mist nets mm-hmm. um, in Southeast Kentucky. But when I was at EKU, there was a a uh, third party. I don't know how it was an environmental company, uh, Copperhead, mm-hmm. that was right there in Paintlick, and I went out there with them and helped them move some artificial bark and stuff around for I guess red bats at one point in time, but. Still have my beanie they gave me for helping them. It's a, but it was cool. A lot of those people I went to school with were really into that and worked for Copperhead. Got to see a lot of cool stuff as far as tracking bats. Um, they would, I guess, I'm not sure how they radio collared them. I doubt it was actually a collar of sorts, but they would catch a bat mist netting and put a tag on it or transmitter. Yeah, then they would literally adhesive. They would literally have a, an airplane in the sky and two vehicles on the ground triangulating this bat. And they would track it hundreds of miles. You yeah, know, I've learned a lot of a uh, lot of interesting a uh, lot of interesting things about dispersal doing yeah. that work. That's it's crazy the resources too though. I mean, you got an airplane in the sky and two crews on the ground following <clears throat> a single yeah. bat across. Mark and those guys over there just love that stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Do, do a lot of neat work. Let's see. Next question I had. Um, what I can't read my own handwriting. What is one of the I literally can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> All right, most uh, boring thing you've had to do in your line of work. Most here. boring thing. Wow, <laughs> I haven't ever had that question. Um, most boring thing. It's got to be data entry. Yeah, routine paperwork is not yeah, uh, not I, necessarily my uh, my yeah. thing, but uh, yeah, I've done a lot of routine paperwork. <laughs> Just so people, of, if we're painting a picture for somebody out there, it's not all fun and games. No, there's you know? a lot of there's a lot of computer work and there's a lot of forms to fill out. But yeah. uh, I uh, I did have some. Uh, um, I guess these were these were pretty boring uh, nights. We had. Uh, Many years ago, when we were doing some elk trapping, mm-hmm. um, we had um, a trap site that was really near a road, and there mm-hmm. was some concern that maybe these elk, we were drawing these elk too close to the road, and if they um, if they crossed the road, well, there was some kind of an accident. You know, we didn't we we were trying to be very cognizant of that. So mm-hmm. I watched the bait site several nights, all night long, um, over in the, 
that got to be pretty boring work. I <laughs> I don't uh, I don't function real well between about two a.m. and four a.m. Yeah, yeah. So I don't it's kind of hard to do. stay awake unless you're on third shift. You know, yeah, that's a, you have to you have to kind of you have to kind of um, acclimate yourself to that schedule. So I can tell you, I there was pretty boring time between two and four because there's no traffic either. Yeah, but I had to check that road every fifteen to thirty minutes. So, so you just kind of sat there. So you weren't actually watching the bait. You were watching kind of the. We road. were actually watching to make sure no elk were standing in the road. Mm-hmm. You know that would that would have you know caused any kind of uh, accident or anything. So, yeah. yeah, that was pretty tedious work too. Man, and then uh, I only have a few questions here. We'll break off, and I know Lee's got some stuff. But what is uh, your best? And you might have already hit on this. So if you did, you have to come up with another one. <laughs> best wildlife story? Maybe like a success story or something. Yeah, that, like that? that's kind of what I was. What's the most rewarding thing you've done? Yeah. Most rewarding thing I've done. Oh my! I mean, elk's got to be up there. Elk is uh, elk is uh, a really. Um, it's really been neat to watch that grow from an idea to um, what we have today. Um, that's actually. I don't know if somebody's got a regret. You're going to ask. This is like a job interview. I get asked. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I guess yeah. it, it's an exit interview. <laughs> if I, uh, I do, uh, I do have a little bit of regret <clears throat> with the elk. Um, program and situation and it's early on when we were doing trapping I should have I don't know I just I didn't uh, um, I didn't think of how important it might be or how fun it might be to look back and have spent a couple of weeks out west trapping so I never got on one of the trapping crews and it was it was sort of the thing that there were plenty of people to go so they weren't begging for help but obviously if I had said hey man I want to go I think I you know Wayne would have let me get on the list and go do it but uh, um, so there's a little bit of regret on that I do wish I had been out there um, helping to trap some of the original animals but um, pretty shortly uh, um after we started hunting them, I um, was working in the southeast, so I got to uh, I got to work with a lot of the hunters on the early hunts, mm-hmm. and I covered those too. It was it was a it's, good time. It's pretty re- that was some pretty re- rewarding stuff, and I can think of a lot of examples not not just elk related, but um, just the the emotion and the joy that uh and how big of a deal it is to mm-hmm. some of our hunters mm-hmm. to and like i say not just elk deer turkeys a big bass a lot mm-hmm. of things are that way but i've i don't know i've always enjoyed the just the sheer joy i i remember some of those elk hunters i wouldn't know their name but if mm-hmm. they walked in i would remember their faces yeah, so, yeah. i mean you remember you've i've seen some grown men cry yeah. um, i have too um i will never forget we used to do we would uh well, we got hunting permission on this property um, that had changed. It had changed hands. It was an original release site, but it had changed hands a couple times. And the coal company was very good to work with, but they were pretty particular about who was on there and where they were. So we had to do this orientation to say, hey, hunters, you can't go over here. And you need to stay away from that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we would do this orientation um, a couple weeks before the bull season. So we'd do it in September. And we'd invite the cow hunters up, too, because... Um, one, it allowed us to get that out of the way for them and mm-hmm. gave them time to scout. Mm-hmm. But it also, you know, the cow hunters were going to be coming back in December. So the chances of them getting to hear bugling and stuff. And I, I will never forget this guy. He, you know, he was, uh, he had a lot of, uh, uh very interesting tattoos. Um, he was, he was probably my dad's age. He was an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, not judging him, but he he he'd been around the block a time or two. You could tell he was <laughs> he was not a guy who I expected to see this. But we were out, and there was a bull down below us bugling, and one was coming across this flat right in front of us. I mean, you just couldn't see him, but he was behind this row of autumn olive, and he bugled at like fifty yards. Man, and I look over. And there's a tear rolling down that guy's cheek. He's the last. He looked like he rode up there on a Harley. He's the last guy you would have ever expected. But I, so I've really gotten a lot of just real joy out of that kind of stuff. Kids with their first deer. How many times working mm-hmm. check stations? You know, you would have a father and mm-hmm. and their son or daughter come in, and you know the kid had gotten a had gotten a deer. So that's that's some of the stuff I've enjoyed the most. I'd say some of that stuff you kind of take for granted in the moment, but looking back on it, mm-hmm. the, that's when you really understand it. And that guy did come back and kill a big cow, so good. It was a, it was a good, good. Thing. <laughs> I was on one of those one time bulls out, and I'll be quick. Um, this guy was up there, and he had just shot a ten point buck in East Kentucky, and he was really proud of it. And these fellas he was showing it to were from out in Hopkins County somewhere, where you know ten pointers are fairly common. <laughs> And uh, he goes, look at this. And that guy goes, that's a little bit there right there. <laughs> that's a little there. I wouldn't even show that to nobody where I'm from. <laughs> that guy was so bad, you could have lit a match off his forehead. Well, he have, I mean, that was the buck of his life. And this guy was like, that's a little bit there right there. <laughs> and I was like, man, it's kind of going to come to blows. And we're like, we, we got him apart after a while. Hey, I, I wouldn't have blamed him if it did come to blows. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, that People guy was just, being a, a horse's butt. Oh, and somebody's being a jerk for no reason. They, they got yeah. You know, consequences. <laughs> What's your favorite smallmouth stream? Oh, my favorite. <laughs> no, he's trying, to, he's trying to trick me into saying something that he can no, no, no. Y'all, you know where I like to fish. You know I like Buck Creek. Yeah, that's and, what I thought you'd say. Um, I, of course, I, I worked in that country for a long time, and those are the streams I fish the most. Where's uh, that at? Uh, it's in Pulaski, Pulaski, eastern Pulaski. A, a gem. Okay. It is. It's fantastic. And it's just, you know... I, I'm a person who really doesn't like so much to be in a kayak or canoe without a fishing rod in my hands, oh, but yeah. I have just canoed that water. I mean, it's it's one of the prettiest floats you can do. And it's one of the most end. unique because there's several streamside caves mm-hmm. that in the summer it emits uh, fog out of it, and they yeah. call it cave smoke down yeah, in, cave down in smoke, Pulaski yeah. County. And there's a couple of cracks in the ground that are emitting smoke. It's like, wow, well, am I going into the underworld? I mean, yeah. it's 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 unique. And it, that you know that stream stays pretty cool, but you hit one of those spots and the temperature is like ten. The water temperature drops ten degrees. Well, that's cool just, though. Yeah, that's, you, you can find Hale Cave is like an air conditioner blowing mm-hmm. on you when you go by it. If you can find that cool water, you can probably find the fish. Oh you yeah, know? there's always fish in those holes below those uh, yeah. those cold spots, especially in summer. Yeah, I almost think that you know it's fun to go kayaking without your fishing pole at the same time. But I'm telling you, I can do the same section. Uh, on Elkhorn, mm-hmm. uh, if I have my if I have my fishing pole with me, it's going to take me four hours. If I don't, it's going to take me two mm-hmm. two hours, two hours. And fi- so you really get to take in more of everything when you when you got a fishing pole with you. Just no doubt, take your time a little bit. You get to catch a few fish and see more. So that's that's my thought on that. But so let me see. I just got two or three more questions, and then we break off into whatever we want. But um, <clears throat> something you'd like to see happen in the future, like mm-hmm. if you were going to be here for another twenty six years or however long it's been, uh, what would be something you'd want to happen in that amount of time wow that's a good one um i would like for us to um and this is not just an agency thing this is a we as sportsmen mm-hmm. um i hope 20 years down the road that we've solved this problem of not recruiting our future yeah. replacements mm-hmm. I, I think that's the most critical need facing 
hunting, fishing, and just honestly, people who care about outdoors and the environment is mm-hmm. making sure the and we we often talk about the next generation and kids and and that's great and you know I take my I take my son hunting and fishing and he enjoys it and some people you know I, I have uh, friends who really love to hunt and their kid really loves to fish or they really mm-hmm. love to fish and their kid loves to hunt or their kid just likes to go out in the kayak and it doesn't matter yeah. we just need our kids out there but it also seems there's a lot of people from my age and younger. Um, a lot of people in their 20s and 30s and even into their 40s who they never learn these skills mm-hmm. growing up. And, and so I think we as sportsmen really have to figure out how to reach out and and find those things. Put somebody else in the boat with yeah. you on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got a great place to deer hunt and you've taken a whole lot of nice deer over the years, you know. What, what's another one really yeah. if compared to somebody's first deer no that's a good get point. somebody out there with you i think it's easy for people to take somebody when it's their kid or somebody that mm-hmm. you know they because i mean most people i don't have kids but i mean i the way i see it most people care more about their kids experiences than they I'm do sure themselves so mm-hmm. and um so it's really easy to take your your son or daughter out there and try to get them involved because you know that you, you feel connected to that but to take somebody else's kid who doesn't hurt you, like, you know, to take a stranger, to take somebody that you aren't as emotionally involved with, that's the probably the difference that needs to happen. And that's where people can, being selfish can get in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're thinking, well, you know, I'd love to take him, but, you know. I don't want to screw up my deer hunt. Yeah, what, what, about, well, what about my farm? Or my, you know, I got that one buck. I really don't want it to get shot and mm-hmm. stuff well, like I that. I can tell you, I've, uh, I've called in a lot of turkeys over the years and yeah. I've taken my share of turkeys, I suppose. But mm-hmm. The most memorable ones, other than maybe my first one, the most memorable ones were the ones that I called in for someone else, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when it's their first. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had uh, um, one of our dear family friends, he, he uh, uh, in the spring, he was always striper fishing. You, you were talking about going this weekend. He was always striper fishing in the spring. and I started taking his daughter turkey hunting, and she loved it. The first one she killed I'd never seen anybody hyperventilate before, but that, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was scary for a minute. Oh. Um, but the amount of, um, the amount of just joy that somebody mm-hmm. gets and the excitement that they get when it's their, when they're learning those new skills, or mm-hmm. you think about, you think about not just a kid, but an adult catching their first fish or catching a good fish. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all, we all enjoy it, but mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. the, the, your hundredth nice smallmouth is not the same as, your, as first. your first. No doubt. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So why do you think, like in my mind, it's a little bit of selfishness. What, why do you think people are less inclined to take people hunting like that, you know? Um, I think it's a huge investment. It's yeah. a huge investment in time um, oh, yeah, both, That's for true. both parties. We don't have the time we did because think of what how much time is eaten by your electronic devices anymore and your phones and all that we didn't have to fool with when we were kids. We didn't have that stuff. Well, and if, you know, if, if, if Lee and I are, are, are friends at work and we decide to, you know, we want to go do something fun, you know, we can go to a ball game or we can uh, go to a concert and we have that automatically in common. You go one time, three years later, you go again and mm-hmm. it's fine. But if you, but if, but if I can't come in and I say, Lee, I'm, you know, I know you're a good fisherman and I'm really interested in, you know, because I fish, mm-hmm. you could take me somewhere and teach me a new technique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a lot in common. But if I knew nothing about it, yeah. it's, a, it's a big investment right. to take me often enough that I know how to tie the knots, that mm-hmm. I know how to cast properly, 
Um, and I still don't cast properly. <laughs> I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, how do you clean a fish? I mean, all these very basic things that we often take for, take for, granted. for granted. Somebody taught us that. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to do the teaching, too, because a lot of times... You know, if somebody takes somebody fishing for the first time, they just tie the knots for them. They just put the right. bait on the hook for them. No, well, maybe you should show them once and, and teach them to how to I'm do it themselves. I'm my niece and my nephew, especially, uh, you know, I'm not taking you. If you don't tie the knot, then we're, you know, we're done. Yeah, so yeah. You need to practice your knot tonight. Oh, yeah, you're, having you're, sit around tying a, you know, you're more likely double to, improved quench. More likely to get somebody to go back out there and do it on their own if you mm -hmm. teach them how to do it on their own. Sure. Yeah. So, that's, that's important. But I do think that... Um, you know, there's a lot of other issues on the wildlife front and on the, you know, just environmental issues that are that are important. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the, the the thing that has always made our system go is that we have so many yeah. interested people. We have people who are interested enough to buy a license, who are interested enough to, you know, provide some input on mm -hmm. things that are going on. And um, as that segment of the population gets smaller and smaller. Um, maybe our interests um, get less and less, or um, less and less influential. The uh, I know that over mm -hmm. the past decade, I think license sales have dropped off like sixteen percent or something like that. But I think Lee told me there was a small uptick mm -hmm. over the past year. Here, here in Kentucky, I think there has been. Yeah, in Kentucky, years. we're doing we're doing quite well, honestly. Yeah. When you look at the nationwide trends, yeah. is when it's when it's pretty frightening. I wonder why that is that less and less. I guess is. Do you think it's people not being taught how to no, do it? People not a, being exposed you know, to it. People grow up in in subdivisions and stuff, and and we grew up in proximity to rural areas yeah. or out in the country. You know, and I think I think that there are people who are just naturally drawn to hunting mm -hmm. and fishing. Yeah, and. You know, if you if you look back even 30 or 40 years, but certainly if you go back 50, 60 years, almost everybody got a chance to try that stuff. Yeah. Yes. And the, and now there's a lot of people out there who might enjoy it, and they didn't get a chance to try it. They were at soccer, you know. Right. You know, and, and, there, and then there's the other, you know, there's just a million other things to occupy yeah, I kinda, your time. I kind of feel like there might be a little bit of a cultural change, too, but I, don't know, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. You guys mm -hmm. listen to sports talk radio at all? Sometimes so, I'm driving just to have sad well, background noise. ticket sales for pretty much all yep. sports, anything, uh, events, uh, especially like, not to pick on Louisville basketball, but Louisville basketball, their ticket sales this year are down 3,000 on average than they were from last year. And this year's team is much better than last year's team. They got more hope. They got Chris Mack, you know, a good coach. It seems like people would be more wanting to go to the games than they were last year when mm -hmm. it was kind of a, a bust of a season. But it, people can sit back and watch it on their TVs and right. skip through commercials, and it's just a convenience thing. It's a, They have an alternative to going to the game now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know. And they're expensive. Well, I mean, they're you expensive. go to the Reds game, it's right. well, it's an expensive day. You know? Hunting and fishing isn't cheap once you really uh -huh. get into it. But you can use it again. Reds game, you never use it again. But the thing so. is, people are more, I feel like people are just missing out on experiences now for the sake of convenience and what's easy a little mm -hmm. bit. Does that make yeah. sense at all? Yes. And I, like you said, there's just going to be people who are naturally drawn to going hunting and fishing. And those are the people who are, you know, they're going to absolutely love it and couldn't pull them away from it, right? Mm -hmm. So those people are going to get into it, but maybe some... A little bit of a cultural shift towards what's easy. I think there's a time issue there too. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of, and that's that's part of what hunting and fishing mm -hmm. suffers um, from in terms of lack of participation. Is that you know it's a commitment to go to a UK or U of L or whatever choose or an NFL it's a football full, game. It's a full day. You you've shot the day. Yeah. And you know when the kids have soccer or basketball practice or piano recital at seven or mm -hmm. whatever, you have 
you can still sit down in your living room and watch the game mm-hmm. um, and still make that other event. Yeah. You know, if <clears throat> you can, you know, you can get up and, and go bluegill fishing for a couple hours on mm-hmm. a Saturday morning and then still have your day. But yeah. if, but if you're going to go, you know, pull the boat to Dale Hollow and fish yeah. for smallmouth, you're pretty you're well home at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, you're pretty well into it for 15, 16 hours mm-hmm. at the time. So I think that that element of it is important, too, is just the time. Because I know, with, you know, having having a, a son at home that's um, very involved in athletic stuff and does academic team. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's something all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all the people that I'm around, all their kids, we're all that way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, we had a lot more time to ride bikes, go fishing, explore stuff, sane creeks. You know, that's what we did. We, we, Mom would send you out on Saturday. He's like, yeah, I don't want to see you until 6 o'clock. We didn't, have anything, <laughs> we didn't have anything to do. We had to make it up. Yeah, no, we had, I mean, <laughs> even when Alder, I, was, I think they're overscheduled. Don't you think? Even, Somewhat, yeah. even when I was younger, I mean, it was before cell phones, smartphones. You know, I didn't have a first cell phone until I was 16 and driving. And it was like when I played Snake on the little Nokia <laughs> brick phones. But, uh I mean, every single day when I got home from school, middle school, high school, it was to the creek. Me and my buddy, and we go to the creek, and we were fishing. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of – I guess kids just aren't doing that as much. Maybe well, they are too busy. And I can tell you, I don't have the luxury of having the you know the stream in the backyard mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, I know for myself and my son, some of the most fun days that we have are days where it's, what are we doing today? Nothing. Yep. So we just go to the farm, play in the creek, mm-hmm. um, check trail cameras. Yep. You know, all those things that aren't hunting and fishing, but are the, you know, just get outside. And it's mm-hmm. it's surprising. I, I think people forget how fun it is when you're 10 years old to go turn over rocks mm-hmm. and catch crayfish no, or it's just great. play in the creek. It's actually mm-hmm. all my girlfriend does is, is go turn over rocks. <laughs> That's what she does. So well, you'd see salamanders slide out from under yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was great. And you know, one of the things I think I like about uh, rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting and, well, let's say you go deer hunting or turkey hunting, you're pretty much on their schedule. You know, you're going to go turkey hunting. You're up there and as the sun's starting to crack, you know, you're listening for the gobbles or you're deer hunting, you're in your spot 20 minutes before light. And if you go in the evening, then you're pretty much committed to, okay, if I get one, I'm dedicating three or four hours after dark to cleaning this deer and, and getting it processed and everything like that. If you can go squirrel and rabbit hunt in the middle of the day, it's kind of, you were talking about going to the farm and just kind of messing around. I got my dog. I mean, I don't have a kid right now, so my dog's kind of like my kid. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just go out there and see if we can run up a rabbit or something like that in mm-hmm. the middle of the day. So there are hunting opportunities like sure. that, but you can just go out there and spend an hour walking through the woods. And if you get on a run, you got on a run. And if you don't, then you just walked around, maybe found some sheds or saw some sign or found a new place you want to put a, a, a deer stand next year. Well, and I think with, with kids particularly or with anybody who's new to the outdoors or new to those types of activities, we sometimes forget that, you know, sitting in a deer stand for three straight days is, you, you may have a great moment of excitement, but there's a lot of tedious mm-hmm. hours sit, sitting there. I know. What do you think w- the percentage of people who fall asleep? <laughs> a think, lot. I think, I think everybody's just ticking away on their phone these mm-hmm. days. I just know a couple of weeks ago, my son and I, we went quail hunting and uh, you know, we've been out for a little while, and he said, you know what? You know what I like about this? I was like, what do you like about this? And I was thinking he was going to say, you don't have to sit still because he yeah. doesn't like to sit still. He said, you don't have to be quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can talk. Yeah. And, you know, you forget how, you know. So it made me think, you know, we need to spend more time. Yeah. You know, we need to spend more time duck hunting. We need to spend more time playing right. small games, yeah, doing small, things where we can talk. That's one of the best things about small games. You can go out there and be social. It's kind of like right. fishing, but you're hunting something. Right. So, yeah, it's and, a lot of fun. And 
you know, waterfowl hunting, usually, you know, I'm bringing breakfast to my wife at 9, 930 in the morning, you know, and you're done for the day. <laughs> right. You know, you could start the day with nothing like watching the sun come up in the winter, you know, over mm-hmm. a pond or whatever, or stream. And, and an hour later, you might as well go home anyway. Yeah, an hour later, it's done. Anyway. But it's, it's a great way to start the day. And seeing those come in, it's just, man, your heart's in your throat. So the only other things I have here, and then I want to, uh, I, I plan on going waterfowl hunting very soon. I found myself a little honey hole. I don't know if it's a honey hole. You're uh, an avid waterfowler might think it's absolutely nothing, but I've never been before and I found my spot. I got ducks every day, so I'm going to go give it a try. I just got to pick up a stamp and some steel shot mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll be after it. But so something you'd, so that was something you'd like to see happen. Next one is something you'd hate to see happen. Is there anything there? Something that maybe concerns you. Something that you just really hope doesn't. I think a lot of the emerging disease issues are are pretty frightening. A little bit on CWD. Yeah, CWD. um, You know, when you start looking at, we're practically surrounded at this point. Yeah. um, And, you know, there's an air of inevitability, I think, for a lot of of deer managers around the the country um, in terms of, Will your state go positive, and if so, when, and how mm-hmm. bad will it be, and how widespread will it be? Um, boy, I'd like to see Kentucky stay CWD-free as long as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's one of those things that, you know, with it, with it all around us, can we stay CWD forever? It'd be naive. It'd be a little naive to think that we could, but... Um, well, we are kind of lucky on one. Yeah, I think you were getting ready to say the exact same thing I was. If that's what that. Arm no, is. I was just going to say the farther in time oh, okay. that we get with that, the more we learn, the better prepared we can be. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, would, I would, I would, I would hate to see CWD positive. I was going to say we're bordered on by a major river on three sides. You know what I mean? So that helps a little bit, hopefully from the north mm-hmm. and um, the west at least. Maybe that'll help us. But as far as the Tennessee having it turn up uh, recently, well, it's you know a lot of the. A lot of the long distance. This is not a popular view with some people, but it's it's pretty clear that a lot of the long distance movements have been, you know, the captive side yeah. of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh yeah, that's very uh, true. So, so. That, it's 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 a scary proposition. It's uh, it's certainly certainly something that uh, that I don't look forward to seeing in the state. So uh, since it's actually pretty relevant, I don't know a whole lot about CWD. Okay. <clears throat> So say somebody else out there doesn't either. Uh, break it down just a little bit for us. What the what the effects could be? What worst case scenario? Well, that's the problem is that worst case scenario, nobody really is quite sure. I mean, there's some predictive models that show, you know, long-term deer decline. Uh-huh. Um, but um, CWD is a un, very un, unusual disease in that it's not, passed in the way that we think of diseases in terms of bacteria or virus. It's a prion, it's a folded, misfolded protein. Um, that prion can be, um, that prion can stay in the soil for long periods of time, unknown periods of time, really. It can persist in the environment in ways that, that most disease-causing agents cannot. Um, so it for somebody who know doesn't know anything about CWD, chronic wasting disease is what it's called in deer, but um, deer, elk, moose, that, those species. But it's similar to the way mad cow mm-hmm. works in cattle or scrapie and sheep. Mm-hmm. Now, the I guess the and then there's a human form of that as well. But the um, the good news is that they're you know, that we don't, we, we don't see, we haven't seen, oh, well, this is crossing over and affecting, affecting humans the way that uh, mad cow 
mm -hmm. uh, did several years ago. So there's hope on that front. So maybe it's something that, you know, doesn't become a human yeah. issue in that standpoint, from that standpoint, but just the impacts on the deer herd long term, it's really not known um, mm -hmm. how um, it, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the prevalence. It depends on, um, um, on a lot of factors that we don't truly understand. You know, it's one of those things that 50 years from now, though, it could be a huge impact on mm -hmm. the deer herd. Okay, that makes sense. And so what we basically have in place right now is um, is a no transport. You can't bring deer from out of state into Kentucky um, unless the brain and spinal spinal column has been removed, right? Yeah, harvested animals is, yeah, what, harvested you're, animals. Harvested yeah. Animals is what you're talking about, yes. So earlier you said, and I've heard this, I mean, this seems to be the most popular theory on it, is the captive deer, um, basically trophy deer operations. Is that basically what's kind of being blamed for it, too blamed um, for it? It's, it's not what, I mean, it's not how chronic wasting disease started in, in the West in mm -hmm. a facility where um, deer were kept in a pen that had, had I guess the scrapey infected sheep was mm -hmm. that's the theory but anyway it's, this it, shows up I've heard in it the was 60s. in food too is that correct um no I don't, I don't know about that so it showed up in the 60s and it was kind of isolated to Colorado and Wyoming has it and the Colorado and Wyoming have been the states that have had it for the longest mm -hmm. um there have been some documented major moves from where um infected herds got moved um and then the, now what we're seeing is you know it just shows up mm -hmm. Did it come because there's a because there was an infected deer that got moved through a facility somewhere or is it being brought in because someone harvested a, a infected animal in another state and then brought it in butchered the animal and threw the spinal cord and the brain material on the back 40 Mm -hmm. I, th those are those are big major question marks that uh, that I don't think anybody knows the answer to. I mm -hmm. certainly don't. But though we're we're asking ourselves what steps can we take, and so this issue, you know, we've it, prior prior to very recently, you know, we had you couldn't bring in a brain and spinal material mm -hmm. from states that were. Ohio. That had tested positive. I think that's Ohio and Indiana. Um, not Indiana. Um, okay. They they are they are a neighbor who does not have okay. A, okay. a positive case. But uh, West Virginia was an early positive. Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, um, I went out to Wyoming several years ago and shot an elk. You know, we had to clean the skulls, and we brought home just all we brought home was deboned meat. Mm. Um, but we recently passed regulations um, to. Um, to change that to basically say that that policy is effect for any state okay. and the timing for the, you know, the, the timing is, is, um, was pretty surprising. Um, but it indicated how clearly we were doing the right thing. Yeah. The Tennessee became positive during, yeah. during the season. So, um, from from now on, any any you know, we won't have to worry. Just hey, another state popped up as positive, and and our hunters will just know. Hey, if you're bringing it from another state, debone the meat, clean skull, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd have to agree. I'd hate to see that happen too. So, mm -hmm. um, only other thing I had written down here was underutilized opportunities. You know about our WMAs. You know about things that there are to do. What is, what is something that people are just missing out on? Um. Oh, there's a variety of things. I think, uh, um, although it's becoming more popular with kayaks, I will say small water fishing, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. stream fishing, small streams. 
Um, I agree. Yeah, not Lee, just uh, Lee agrees. Yeah, Lee, Lee and I. This is something Lee and I share. I, I think he and I both uh, love fishing these small, not even just the good smallmouth creeks. A lot of the just little creeks have good sunfish. You mm-hmm. know, good just fun fishing. And probably um, a lot of them haven't seen a lure in years. Right. You know? Yeah, I think those are underutilized as far as the hunting side of things. Um, <clears throat> squirrels are just a, you know, they're they are just a product of whether or not we have a good mast year mm-hmm. the year before. Um, so there's a boom and bust type of a situation sometimes. So sometimes squirrel hunting is not great no matter what you do, but uh, there's always a few around to hunt. And in years that uh, there's a lot, squirrels are, are very underutilized, particularly gray squirrels. Um, I'd have to say um, one of the most exciting things that uh, one of the things I enjoy the most that I think uh, very few people seem to be into is fall turkey hunting. Yeah, um, true. And um, people like to call them in and talk to them, mm-hmm. but that's the only time. And the and I, I will I will not uh, I will not try to sit here and act like a purist and tell you that I haven't shot a turkey walking by in the fall. But I've called more in than I've really shot walking by. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite way to do it is to just get out in the woods early in the morning and listen. And if you can hear them coming off the roof somewhere. Um, then you know where to start. If not, you just wander around till you you know go to likely places, particularly oak ridges in the woods, or um, you know if you know where food plots are. Um, I'd say find those scatter. Roosters. Yeah, and but scatter the birds and call them back. Mm-hmm. It's it's it can be a lot of fun. It can it's certainly exciting. And I will say, you asked about WMAs. That's one of the things. There's a WMA um, that. Uh, I would love to. I would love to have. Uh, um, I would love to have the the sole access to that place mm-hmm. in the spring. Uh, this is a WMA. I've killed a lot of turkeys on, uh, but I've killed most of them in the fall because yeah. in the spring it's just a popular spot to go, mm-hmm. and there's going to be somebody at every gate, and you can go in the fall and and have the place yourself to to fall turkey hunt. Yeah. It's loaded with birds both times, so. Um, I, I certainly think fall turkey hunting is underutilized. I don't think I, a lot of people, if they shoot a turkey in the fall, it's kind of the like you said. I mean, got the bow in their hand and it's walking by. Some people do go out during the fall shotgun season, but I'm not sure um, a lot of those people are breaking them up. I think a lot of those people maybe see them fly up the night before and say, "Okay, well, I know where they're going to be in the morning." Mm-hmm. That's probably the easiest way to do it. But breaking them up and calling them back in in the fall would be a really fun way to do it. Never, never tried that. It, so. it it's 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 really it really is a fun thing to do and um it it's interesting to me how um social they are Mm -hmm. um in terms of if you've ever scattered a covey quail and sat down Mm -hmm. and and especially in the summertime you know it's there's just a few minutes so you start hearing a whistle here a whistle there and you know turkeys young turkeys do that same or it's not the same they do the whistle um, they do a key key run and get back together. Mm-hmm. So they're very uh, susceptible if you can get them scattered well huh. to, to calling them back. Huh. Something to try. Let's see. I think, honest, honestly, we ran through everything. Oh, wait. Yep. There was one question I had earlier. I said, I'm going to come back to this in a, in a second, and I never came back this to This was it. the, uh, hey, you're a wildlife biologist no, possible I, question. We, right? we, we were talking about uh, deer, and I was getting ready to talk about. Um, the how I, I was talking about we saw 60 some deer we didn't get a shot well the truth is uh all the deer i had come by me last night in range were bucks okay and when we were hunting uh for the show with chad this piece of property we had uh three i mean I, i'm gonna say giant but for the show really nice bucks and um, 
140 through 155. Come right into range. One of them stood there at 12 yards for 10 minutes and made a scrape just perfectly broadside. Yeah, I watched that footage. It's yeah. Pretty good. Uh, we had a bigger one, a, a much bigger one, come in on us during uh, modern firearm season. But that's a property we didn't have permission to take a buck on. We were only hunting does. Mm -hmm. So last night, I see 60 deer and only ones that gave me a shower bucks. Uh, some just great shooter bucks came in only when we didn't have permission to shoot a buck. Is there a biological reason that you get opportunities at deer? You, you, know, what I mean? you know what I mean? It's like when you go deer hunting, you see squirrels. And when you go squirrel hunting, you see deer. And when you got a doe, doe tag and no buck tag, you see the biggest buck of your life, you know? Yeah, there's no biological No, but reason. there has to be something. I think that's confirmation bias. No. Yeah. No, it, it happens. You think that's what you're seeing. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> random. Yeah, it happens so often, though. The other day, we sat down. Uh, we were muzzleloader hunting, and this is going to be on the show soon, so I don't want to ruin it, but we'd been sitting there for two and a half hours, and all the deer that we had seen were up on, they were silhouetted on the ridgeline, right? Couldn't get a shot, because we don't want to shoot one with a muzzleloader and sure. have that savage just fly off into the sunset mm -hmm. or the sunrise. And... Um, you know, it's really cold out. Chad looks at me. He's like, I got to take a leak. And so Chad leans his muzzleloader up a tree, walks about 15 or 20 yards over to the creek. And sure enough, as soon as he does that, doe walks out perfectly broadside, standing there. <laughs> oh, so, that happens so, all so, the time. Well, some, somehow he actually managed to sneak back. I guess he just was walking directly away from this deer. He's just sitting there looking right at him, watching him walk away. He gets his muzzleloader. And in time, he, he was able to get a shot on it. So we will have that one on the show here coming up soon. But it's it funny. just it just seems like things happen. We call that Chad PP Buck. I'll come up with something interesting. Actually, <laughs> I, you know that um, the angle for that that story we were hunting hunting in Simpsonville, and uh, it was really close to where Abraham Lincoln's grandfather got killed um by native americans back in the day 1786 i think was the year and then abraham lincoln's uncle ran up to the house and grabbed a a muzzle loader and ran back down there and shot that native american while he's scalping his his grandpa or abraham lincoln's grandpa would have been his dad yeah so we were hunting like half a mile from where that happened yeah. i think his name was abraham lincoln too it, well, abraham lincoln is the one who was killed but yeah. um and you know they say that if he wouldn't have ran down there and shot that Native American. I mean, there might not have ever been an Abraham Lincoln president. Because Thomas was nearby. Th fact, Thomas, right? Thomas was down there in the field with, uh, it was the three sons and Abraham Lincoln, the grandfather, who were down there planting corn in that field. And this is in, basically, it's long run. It's near long run. Yeah. And that Native American party came in there and killed him. And if he wouldn't have gone back down there and killed the Native American, who knows if there ever would have been a Thomas to live around. It was Mordecai that did it, right? Mordecai ran back up to the this house. This house is still at Lincoln Homestead State Park. If you ever near there. Well, they moved. To there, uh, pretty much, really quickly after this all happened in, in Shelby County. A uh, little plug up. A lot of people don't know that park's there. It is really cool to take your kids over. Mordecai Lincoln House still stands. People have weddings there. Talking about the uh, Nelson County, uh, Washington. Washington, Washington County. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember going there when I was a kid. With, There's a nice uh, lake there to fish now, yeah. and uh, an excellent golf course. Huh. But that's that's just a little gem that people don't know about. I, I've spent a lot of time there. Is that what kind of park is that? State city, it's a state park. State yeah, park. Yeah. So there you go. Lincoln Plug. Homestead State Park. Okay, very nice. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anything else you want to talk about, Lee or Steve? You got something you want to get off your mind before you get out the door? You want to take <laughs> shots at somebody or <laughs> no shots? I, I've uh, I've uh, I've been uh, honored and privileged. You've dodged many shots. Yeah, I've dodged a couple over the years. Uh, it's been a don't need to throw any. It's been a privilege and an honor to get to spend a career here, and yep. uh, um, I. Uh, I'm going to miss it a whole lot. I'm, yeah. I'm really proud of this place. and It's in good hands, though. What are you going to do with uh, yeah. 
I actually ask the same thing. Um, I'm going to work for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Oh, okay, okay. Um, which which makes it uh, um, a little more palatable that I'm going because yeah. I'm uh, you know I'm going to do something in the conservation world. Uh-huh. Um, uh, if if I had to pick a wildlife species that I enjoy the most, it's certainly wild turkeys. Okay, uh, I love to turkey hunt. Um, I'm just fascinated by turkeys in general. Um, there, it's a really an excellent organization uh-huh. with uh, with great people, a real grassroots um, uh, group of people. So I'm very excited about that. So while I hate to leave, I'm excited about yeah. this opportunity, and I and I'll be uh, I'll be doing habitat work and working on conservation issues. So are you going to be? I know that uh, at least one or two other people have have gone to um, NWTF from here, and I think they went to is it Indiana? Or do you have to go to Tennessee? Or are you going to be able to stay local? Um, I will cover Kentucky and Tennessee. Okay, so you don't have to relocate. Or no, anything. I don't. Very nice. Well, good luck. Congratulations. I was, you know what, I was talking, somebody was talking to Chad the other day and they were like, I don't know why you'd ever retire. You got the best job, blah, blah, blah. And Chad was like, you know, people don't realize, yeah, I have the best job and I get to do all this stuff. But when I retire, I get to do whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) So anyway, congratulations, Steve. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll see you at your retirement party. Thanks. Eating cake. Thank you.